All right, so uh, welcome to a wrap-up of Coffee with Colleagues, uh, an ICEP conversation that we had with close to 80 uh, international colleagues uh, on April 24th, 2020. I'm here with uh, Dr. Fiona Chambers and Louise McQuaig, and um, I'm just going to spin it off to Fiona here to start off and kind of I guess uh, ask the question of what started this. How did you? How did you all come up with an idea of having this, and what was the what was the purpose? Well, I'm going to be really honest here, Risto, and say that that people like yourself have inspired this idea, and so the podcast you're doing, also the work that Jamie McMullen is doing, um, and other colleagues around the world. Um, I know that Achper are thinking of something similar shortly. But really, um, we, we, we began thinking about how are we going to connect with our membership? And um, this was a general question anyway before COVID-19 decided to hit us. Um, but um, we decided we needed to think of better ways of connecting with, with each other um, and, and to inspire some nice conversations and maybe um, down the line some research collaborations that we could work towards. We're more and more seeing that uh, the conference model is actually not the model that works in all cases. It's it's something that can be supplemented by other types of of connection with our membership. And we have a very diverse and multi-generational membership. And really, um, certainly I felt that we're not not serving them as well as we could. And uh, the the idea of ISF Connect came from that. Now, we would see that this is a monthly engagement and that it will be inspired by what the membership want to talk about um, and um, it, it will depend on who is going to join the call. So for example on Friday it was really fascinating because we had everybody from PE practitioners through to academics, sports scientists and others who decided they'd like to, to join in this um, in this conversation. So we need to pitch it such that it does reach the audience that will, will want to, to connect with us on these and um, so, yeah, it, it has been interesting, but basically, like all great ideas, it was innovated from other ideas, like like the great work that you're doing as well, Risto and, and Sarah. All right. Thank you. And so what was the topic? Can you kind of uh, bring up what the what yeah. the main topic was? And Well, you see, I'm, I'm kind of on Twitter a lot and, and there was a lot of, um, of traction around this, this guy called Joe Wicks. And Joe Wicks is 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 basically um, he's, he's it's like PE with Joe at, at 9 a.m. every morning, and um, in the UK, and he broke all these records recently on the 24th of March, uh, where he had the highest uh, viewership, uh, a couple of million people watching him doing these these 30 minute workouts for kids, and there was a lot of interesting conversations on Twitter around. How dare this guy come into our space, into PE, and pretend that he's doing PE? This isn't PE. And then there was a lot of interesting backlash against it, saying, "Well, hang on, like we're we're all trying to homeschool kids, and we need somebody to do this kind of work." And so the topic was Joe Wicks, the face of PE in COVID nineteen, which we thought would be really, really um, interesting, kind of would grab attention, and um, because we we know that there are people like Joe in other countries doing a similar kind of exercise routine with children in, in this time. And um, we, well, certainly I found it interesting that there were polar views on this within our profession. Um, and I thought, let's just use that as a hook and see would people be interested in, in teasing that out. And who better, I felt, 
uh, to talk about the topic um, and also my colleagues agreed was, was somebody like Cathy Armour who was a proponent of Joe Wicks, which I thought was an interesting kind of stance and I thought it might really generate conversation if, if she would um, you know, be, be able to art- articulate that on the, on the first ISF Connect. Yeah, and I think that... You know, you didn't you didn't lead with Kathy Armour is going to be a proponent of of Joe. And no. so when I signed on, I, I was completely expecting what I was seeing on Twitter from a lot more physical education uh, scholars and people who are saying, you know, mm-hmm. how dare this guy. And then Kathy was like a breath of fresh air. I was like, whoa, you know, like, I mean, leave yeah. it leave it to her to challenge your way of thinking. You know, you sit there and you're mm-hmm. thinking, wait you're you're saying that I should look at this in a different way so uh Louise what what do you think um was that something that kind of connected with you or w- did you leave the conversation thinking the same thing that you did going into the conversation um I'd have to say that uh I was reminded of surprisingly an American movie that is incredibly soppy and pretty um simple really but there's a really important line in the middle of it that in the absence of true leadership, people will believe anybody who steps up to the microphone. And I think this is a really, really important point for uh, the field. And Joe Wicks has stepped up to the microphone. And I was interested to hear the different perspectives that people had and also Cathy's being involved. But it reminded me that historically, here we are again, fighting the same battle about what is the educative and special part of physical education that um, is differentiated in some way from what our sports scientist colleagues and our exercise physiologists and even the CrossFit trainer can offer. And in this particular situation, I totally understand how families and parents have turned to Joe Wicks because really we have struggled as a community to articulate constantly what it is that is educative and um, perhaps belongs in a school setting as opposed to a gym setting about our particular field. And social media and and COVID-19 response has just been like a blowtorch to reveal our vulnerabilities and some of the ways in which other organisations and individuals have been far more strategic, flexible and have moved with the times. So... I think there were so many lessons for us, Risto, and so so wonderful to have such a global perspective and different ideas, raising, of course, some of the perennial issues about equity, about what does it mean to have this particular way of connecting with physical activity and physical education? What does it look like cross-culturally? So that was pretty special about um, being in a global hookup and to be able to think through some of those ideas. Yeah, and I think that was a that was a great thing. You both were looking at the chat constantly, and there was there's so much going on on the chat from different people chiming in. And I think, you know, you you all moderated it, uh, both of you, really well because you did bring some things that people weren't saying. They weren't on camera and speaking it, but you know, putting in very important information like you know the access to Wi-Fi and the access to you know, in rural communities or just even people who don't have the data to stream this and what what are the, you know, equity issues related to just all of a sudden having, 
you know, somebody say we're doing online physical education. So I, I found it interesting because I, I, I hadn't watched more than like 15 seconds of Joe Wicks before and before the call and I looked at him and he was doing some like boxing thing and I'm like well that's not how you throw either one of those punches and so I kind of like passed on him and then last night I went through and watched a couple of the other videos and you know he's a I mean probably now five weeks in he's a very engaging personality and you know even last week he is he started adding you know, quizzes about geography, about integrating different, I mean, in a very superficial way, it's not necessarily very educative, but in a superficial way, he is integrating academic content, you know, building relationships however he can by doing some shout outs to, to kids all across the world. He's, you know, raising money for the national health system there are so many positives that he's doing and you know, I kind of, again, before I, I listened to the ASAP connect, I was definitely not on that side. I still don't think that's physical education, but I do think that what Kathy talked about was, you know, taking something from that and really taking it to the next level and forcing us to, you know, reimagine what physical education is and, you know, just kind of take some lessons from there. So Fiona, what do you, um, what do you think? What was your big takeaway from the, um, from the call? Um, I did find it interesting, as I said a minute ago, this polar, the polar views and this idea of um, almost, um, we're, we're quite precious about our subject area and yet we can't, we're constantly in this debate. I mean, I don't think any other discipline is in this debate on a constant basis, like mathematicians or physicists or anybody else. But physical education is 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 always uh, catapulted into this kind of dilemma space, and um, in terms of what are we, what, what what do we do? And in a time where, or in a in a discipline where where you you don't have those kind of parameters, anyone really can step in. So Joe is stepping in and he's doing his thing, and it's kind of quite commercial. Uh, which is kind of interesting. And um, what's interesting in, in terms of, of um, some work that I'm doing with David Aldous and with um, Anna Bryant at the moment, we decided that we think that part of our issue with our subject area is that we don't have any threshold concepts. And that was something that Land and Meyer brought up a number of years ago in terms of this notion of um, this troublesome knowledge that every discipline has and that wants you to traverse um, your liminal space and you develop your threshold concepts, then you, you, you're firmly, um, you can firmly say that you, you're learned in that particular area. And for physical education, we, do, we don't appear to have those. And some of it relates back to this idea that Henry uh, Franklin talked about, and it's the, the idea that we, um, we're, we're cross-discipline, but we're like an interdiscipline within cross-disciplines. So there are loads of different um, disciplines feeding into what we do. Um, and Kretschmer talked about this, the, the idea of all of these disciplines standing along a river bank and we're feeding into the river that is physical education. And with, with that kind of, um, I suppose, uh, analogy, it, it points to the fact that there, there are lots of people owning this space and they feel that they can 
do as Joe Wicks does because he's a sports scientist and jump in there and do what he does and that he's a, leg- a legitimate right to do that. Um, and I think that until such time as we can claim, uh, physical education itself can claim its own threshold concept that no one else can claim, that we say, this is actually what we do, and then we're going to be in trouble. And we're, we're shortly... Um, we're writing a book currently for Routledge, and myself and David and Anna, and that's going to be out in September. And we have worked with practitioners to identify these threshold concepts that I'm talking about to try and help us so that maybe we start to move away from this constant debate around what is physical education? What do we offer to the educational space? Because um, until we do that, I think that we are going to constantly have this situation arising. Are you going to give us any teasers on what those threshold concepts are? Well, they're they're kind of um, they're, they're kind of interesting at this point, right? And um, so, what we've said so far, and um, based on all the work that the practitioners have, have have done with us, we we've talked about all of the the I suppose the the concepts that feed into the space, and we've knowledge mapped uh, these concepts to higher threshold concepts. And one of them, which we believe that physical education can claim, is corporeal reflexivity. Um, so we believe that that is a really um, strong threshold concept that physical education on its own, in its own right, can absolutely claim. Um, and we, we think that once we start to, like we've identified a number of others as well, but this will be one standout threshold concept that has a number of feeders into that. And if we were to say that for, uh, for people who are physically educated, that they have this corporeal reflexivity, that this is a threshold concept that once they grasp it, they can never unlearn it, they have it, um, and it is something that traverses any content area. I think then then our then our physical education um, discipline or interdiscipline is moving into an entirely new um, realm at that point. Yeah. So it's, it's uh, what, what, what we found most interesting actually for, for us is... Um, the way in which uh, the practitioners have helped us to open our blinkers and to see physical education a little bit differently. So we've worked with lots of different content areas to try and, um, like in a very grounded theory approach, to try and see what comes out of those content areas and and, and what are they seeing um, as uh, young people are engaging in particular activities. What are the types of concepts that are really important when you're learning physical education. Yeah. So it's it's been it's been very interesting, but entirely um, a, a collaboration between practitioners and academia uh, to try and deal with the issue that that Louise is quite rightly raised in this um, in this conversation. Yeah, and I think that you're right in the sense that you know we we haven't defined what what we what we hold as physical education in a sense so every, anybody can jump in and Joe Wicks did jump in with saying that you know he is a, the body coach and it, you know he's basically said that this is physical education but you know when I the videos that I watched and maybe he does something different but I assume that he's doing the same thing every day is that it's a high intensity interval training class and I think the biggest the biggest thing that I was left with that wasn't covered, and I, I think it was covered, I, I would have said it, but I it took me like two or three hours to continue thinking about this throughout the day. And then it hit me, and I figured, 
you know, I, I look at Kathy's experience in, in those classes and it's as an adult, you know, my wife takes, um, you know, now she's forced into doing yoga classes online and Pilates classes online. And, you know, she's really engaged with that. It's a really great uh, way to get a 30 minute, 45 minute, 60 minute workout from a class. The instructor is highly engaging and, and fun. And whether it's live or recorded, it's still a way to get a workout. Whereas, mm-hmm. yes, this is a way to get a workout, but it's not. I, how much is, is it creating enjoyment and motivation and lifetime passion for physical activity versus all he was doing was 30 seconds on this high intensity activity and then 30 seconds rest. And then he threw out some questions and another 30 seconds. Whereas I probably would have done that workout if I needed to for 30 minutes, but I don't know Mm -hmm. if that's, you know, is it looking at it from an adult's point of view and therefore it's okay. I mean, have we talked to the students? Mm -hmm. Has anybody done a study with students taking Joe Wicks, you know, every single, every single day? Are they enjoying it? How many people drop out? Do you know what, what's interesting, Risto, is the Wall Street Journal had an article yesterday on him. And it was about the, the level of injuries, adult injuries. Interesting. Uh, from adults enga- engaging in it. A really interesting article. Um, and it basically was going through... Uh, they, they had talked to adults who were trying to do it with their children and the fact that there's no real warm-up, there's, you know, it's not quality uh, physical education that's going on there and the adults then were just trying to copy um, what, the, what the kids were doing and then ice packs and the room being wrecked and all sorts mm-hmm. of crazy things going on. But it was interesting that it was picked up by them. Uh, because there, like it was something that was said actually in the in the, in our discussion in ISAP Connect, and it was this business of it, it isn't quality physical education. There is no feedback, per se. It's just do this, copy me, mimic me, and there's no real learning apart from follow what I'm doing. And um, and then in the instance of of there's no even differentiation to say okay, if adults are doing this, you're going to need to do the following. Because adults are typically not as flexible, you're going to need to do this. This is what flexibility means. You know, all those learning moments that, that arise when you're teaching physical education as opposed to, to what he's doing. So I thought that was interesting in itself. It was interesting that it was picked up. Yeah, I, th- I think, you know, I, I got to give it to him, though. Clearly, he's broken his wrist at some point. He was doing all of his activities modified. Imagine breaking your wrist and being like, no, I have to continue doing these high-intensity interval training <laughs> workouts because I have to continue making money. And, yeah. you know, like, yeah. the guy literally, he was he was doing push-ups with his, like, wrist out and modifying all these activities. And, you know, he's not taking it easy when he when he's doing these workouts. And I can't even imagine just, like continuing to push through with a broken wrist but you know even even in his warm-ups i i would agree he came in cold and started stretching and you know yes he was doing some sort of like you know similar to a dynamic warm-up but you know it was stretching the way he's bending his knees and doing those activities they're not it's not best practices in physical education Well, you would read in a book yeah. of how we would train our pre-service teachers to teach certain stretches. 
you know, yes, this is good for some athletes to stretch this way, but the vast majority, you you probably should avoid doing this way because of their risk of injury. Yeah. So, yeah. Louise, are you, um, do you have this, like, is this popular in Australia or um, is there a similar thing going on on the web or are teachers stepping up there? How's it looking over there? Um, it's a good question you ask. I, I think some PE teachers looked to um, Joe quite quickly as soon as they struggled in some ways that they might be able to harness what he was doing. Um, we have really, really fantastic uh, professional organisations. So actually our HPE organisations organised in the States. Um, Victoria, for example, has done an incredible job of getting a whole raft of ideas, videos and uh, learning experiences and support for their teachers. Um, I think more broadly though, I really find it fascinating to look at the parallels between Joe Wicks and CrossFit and the phenomenon of CrossFit and how it tapped into the uh, same thing, mistake. CrossFit fundamentally is grade nine calisthenics and uh, you know just physical training sessions, circuit training from the 1970s. Everything that if we looked at the actual physical activities and what was being done that our grade nine students had told us to get, say, you know, to us get stuffed, I'm not doing that. And yet at the age of 24, 25, here they are in their droves, um, connected, enthusiastic, feeling this power. And what was, what was the significant difference? Celebrity, social media, digital technologies, that sense of being able to um, have those personal analytics and be able to track yourself and be motivated and, and have the whole package. CrossFit, just like Joe, they were onto it really quickly and they were way ahead in being able to uh, take on board what was it about social media and the new technologies that were connecting with young people. Um, and I think I only have praise for folk like uh, Vicky Goodyear who have um, embraced that space. But it does come back to Fiona's really important point. And what was delightful about the um, hookup the other the night was that there were many research projects going on in the chat um, space yeah. the whole way. People were opening new research questions and new explanations yeah. and asking really interesting questions. And people were connecting with those across the globe and going, yeah, that's a really interesting space to be uh, exploring. But in terms of the threshold concept, I think one thing that is intriguing to go back to ask is those people that get connected to physical activity later in life who hated physical education in school, what, what if they look back, what was the missing element that moved them from yeah. the liminal space into the transformation space? What yeah. were those? Yeah. And I think one element that is really clear in Joe Witz's presentations is the lack of cognitive engagement. What yeah. many of our colleagues in education would see is some of their core business, which is if you look at simple things like Bloom's taxonomy, and it comes back to um, Fiona's really important point about reflexive corporeality. He doesn't ask questions. He doesn't ask yeah. good quality probing higher order questions. He doesn't engage in, ref in reflex, any reflection. So it's it is very much a gym experience with celebrity, with music, with fun, 
almost like the Wiggles for, as somebody said in the chat yeah. room, the Wiggles yeah. for activity. Um, and so it provides us an opportunity, doesn't it, to come in now and say, this is Joe Wicks, but this is Joe Wicks with education at it and to be able to to engage with that. And the final thing that I would add is that when Dean McDonald was doing the um, Shape of Health and Physical Education for Australia paper, one of the points that she raised was looking at the futures literature, what would a school look like in the future? And futures come to us by COVID-19 in a very quick way. And what's ironic is that many people in my country now are itching and embracing to be out and being physically active. So having had something that's really important to us taken away, people are going surfing more, swimming in the ocean, bike riding with their families. The physical activity element has become those moments of celebration. And so we may have arrived already at that place where the school now will become this hub where families and and children go for their health and physical activity as opposed to um, a lot of what they can learn online. So there's some really interesting jump off points that Joe and Kathy's, um, Joe Wicks and Kathy's reflection on him and commentary and then all of the thoughts people were saying really uh, forces us to think about and, and open doors for us that are maybe a different direction. Yeah, and I, and I think that you're right, and we should harness this newfound, you know, passion for people that are going outside and being physically active. And if you look at, you know, in the U.S., those states that did choose to do a stay-at-home order, um, you know, they the governors have said, you know, stay inside, you know, eat healthy foods, and you know, wash your hands often, and remember, get your physical activity in, exercise, do something yeah. that you enjoy, yeah. go out for a walk, mm-hmm. and socially distance. But you know, in in all of those executive orders, when when they explain what people should be doing, one key component is get your physical activity in. And I know that there will be people who listen to this and say that, oh, well, we're just talking about the biomedical model of, you know, getting into physical education and making it all physical activity. And I don't think that that's what we're talking about. We're talking about the joy and the passion, meaningful movement. And yes, our field is about physical activity. You know, a large portion of it is. And so I think that you're right, Louise, in in looking at I think it would be a fascinating thing for somebody to put out a futures paper right now of yep. looking at this and how how this is going to push the field forward and what, you know, not take the doom and gloom view of envisioning what it could be if we harness what has happened and learn from the mistakes that our field has made in the past to put out a 100% positive paper. I don't know. Can I just pick up briefly on, on one of those and, and this will um, probably flash out my um, preferred way of thinking through things. Um, if we look at salutogenic theory and start to think through, and this has been an important um, piece of work that people have been doing for some time now. Um, I think of Nikal and, and the Swedish, um, our Swedish colleagues. Physical activity as a resource to enjoy and flourish in life as opposed to fixing obesity is such a fundamental element that has come to the fore here. We are seeing 
in my country, we're seeing people who want to go out and be in the outdoors to be with their family, and they want to celebrate that through physical activity and doing physically active things together. Uh, same with digital media and accessing that digital media instead of a demon. How do we make it and recognise and harness it as a resource to help us flourish in life and, and have enjoyment and healthy living as opposed to fixing something that's wrong in terms of the disease? And I'm not sure that we've done a, a good job of, of understanding that. Um, we continue for very good reasons because there's a lot of money attached to grants, there's a lot of kudos in being attached to a biomedical model. But we've really been able to see here how physical activity is considered something that helps people have meaning in life as they go through this pandemic and meaning in terms of um, their time with their family. I'm sure Fiona has a different perspective on that. Um, uh, but certainly from my theoretical lens, that's how I see it. Um, actually, weirdly, no, I don't. And it's, I'm going back to the threshold concepts idea. What, what we're hitting on very much is the notion of eudaimonia, which is um, a Socratic kind of I ideal, this idea of um, thriving and flourishing. And that ultimately is, it's the, the, the um, fulcrum of everything that an educator will do. But what we offer as physical educators is eudaimonia in the context of movement, of physical movement. That's the piece that we can offer. Um, I think it's um, that's really what, what, what it's about. And if, if we can educate young people to enjoy that, to feel that slow, to feel eudaimonia, and to, once you feel that once, once you have um, experienced that once, you want more of it. Um, and I think that's that's the piece for us in our in in, in terms of our own education in physical education that, that that's actually missing. And that I don't believe in in some of the reductionist ways in which we do things that we we ever allow children or, or enable children at least to to experience that because if they do experience it, they will want more of it. And you're hitting on something really interesting that the kernel of what's going on, the thing that's keeping people sane in the midst of everything that's happening is uh, is physical activity and it is exercise and it's really interesting that people are going back to that basic idea can you imagine what it would look like in the time of COVID-19 if all of the people of our age and um, of all the generations had experienced that that eudaimonic um, feeling in their physical education classes what they might be doing we can see them going for walks and doing various things, but I, I really feel the quality of what they would be doing now would be different, and would, their reason for doing it would be different. They would get, they would get why they need to do it. And um, another point that I wanted to just kind of uh, raise uh, with both of you is this idea of yes, of course, we do need to have a futures paper, but I, I actually firmly believe that our profession needs to start doing things differently in terms of how we disseminate our ideas. If we do a paper, nobody will get to see that paper for at least a year. If we think of more agile ways of getting our ideas out that are still peer reviewed, I think we will be on to something. Um, I, I've, um, I've just been part of um, a, a European hackathon for the weekend. I was mentoring uh, teams on that and there was 23,000 people involved and uh, collectively we generated 1,700 projects. Um, in the time of COVID-19 and trying to, to attack the, 
the virus and what it's doing to our lives and, and trying to make things better for citizens. And what was palpable during the weekend was how agile everybody was. There was different disciplines, different skill sets, different focus points, everybody moving very quickly to, to help and support as best they could to bring ideas to fruition within 72 hours. So I think we could learn from that in terms of how we um, can change physical education to make it more relevant, more meaningful, um, and to capitalize on, on people like um, the Joe Wicks of the world who are, are standing in our space and are standing at that microphone. We do really need to start thinking differently about how we engage with people as a profession and how we engage engage within our own community. I think we're we're following a model that is 19th century in terms of the conference model and in terms of how we, we publish. Um, and I, I, I would like us to start thinking that, that we're not taking away from the rigor or how robust it is and far from it, but how we get the conversation going in different ways so that people know we're thinking and know that we're driving the profession forward. Otherwise, it, it, what will happen is we've had this conversation and then in a year's time we have a futures paper. The future is moving every day. We're in the new future today and tomorrow and the next day. And in, in 365 days, it's going to look entirely different again. So how, and my question basically would be, how can we become more agile as an academic community and as a as generally as a professional community? That would be one burning question I'd have for for all these amazing, this, this brain power that we have, how can we actually use this a little bit differently? Yeah, and I think, you know, maybe we get people on a podcast and talk about these things. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, no, but I, I, so. I, I have a I have a colleague I'm working mm -hmm. on a project with from data science. He's a computer scientist, and you know, in his field, um, conference presentations and conference papers are are huge. You know, he goes in. It's a quick mm -hmm. turnaround of a peer review. They go in, present at a conference. It's bigger than publishing a paper, because they're okay. getting their information out right away. And so once that mm -hmm. is published in a conference presentation, people will publish that because that field moves so fast. So his, yeah. I think his Vita is switched that his conference presentations are, are higher because that's what is very important in this field. And there are certain conferences that if you get into, it's like publishing in the top high impact journal. And so I think that those are, those are different ways to look at it. I think, you know, there are some journals that, so let's look at predatory journals that are that are terrible for our field, but they can publish your paper within four weeks. So if you, you know, and I know that people who don't have any requirement on where to publish and how to publish, if they throw a paper out and spend a hundred US dollars, you can publish a paper and they'll turn it around in four weeks. And now it's not rigorous right the peer review is not the same at all but you know you could never do that in our field's top journals publish a paper within four mm -hmm. weeks yet no nope. why not right like mm -hmm. could could mm -hmm. the journals change because look we're not waiting for a hard copy issue i don't get any hard copy mm -hmm. journals anymore and 100 percent yeah. of my journals are online so can yeah. you 
and even PESP you'll, or EPER or Sport Education Society, you'll, you'll publish that paper online and then you know, share it with your colleagues and you'll start citing papers and then all of a sudden you'll get an email a year later and says you have an issue number. And you're like, oh, this got printed in... Mm-hmm. But it doesn't matter if it got printed yeah. in the physical journal. It matters when it got posted online. So I think we have yeah. sped up a little bit, but there's definitely... And I don't, I don't have an answer on how to fix this, but there are ways that we could speed this up considerably. There, there, there are things like um, uh, the idea of an open book where you can have uh, scholars gather together for a weekend um, and you have a team of peer reviewers checking things as it goes and it's like an agile weekend publication of a book. That sounds like a mad, crazy idea, but it's happening in other fields. Mm-hmm. And you have the right scholars around the table who have something to say, something really interesting to say, and out it goes. Yeah. So I, I just think there's there's a moment where we could tap into what, what do our profession want? Our younger researchers, what are they looking for? What would they respond to? How will our practitioners use our work? And it's it's a moment where I'd, I'd really like to, to, to hack that. I'd like to get a team of people globally together to hack that and try and figure better ways of doing it. I do know for promotion, obviously it's the journalists that people are looking to, obviously in the promotion round. Um, but uh, maybe maybe there's ways of trying to flip that or, or hack that a bit in terms of what we're doing. Yeah, absolutely. So let's let's do this. I think we're uh, we're nearing forty minutes, and I think we could talk for another forty five. But um, <laughs> um, let's let's kind of wrap this up, and and I'll ask the last question of you know what was your What's your hope for the future or what's your biggest takeaway from this? And what do you think that, um, you know, this ICEP Connect, which was an amazing, um, you know, short one hour connection. What's your kind of hope for the future, whether it's through for ICEP leading or for the field or your biggest takeaways? So, uh, Louise, on the spot. Um, I'm, I'm with Fiona about the hack concept. Um, I I have to say that I've been really, I shouldn't have been, but I was shocked and surprised by the way in, in which COVID-19 and international responses to COVID-19 has had an impact on sport and the ways in which watching sport has been shut down and, and how sporting organisations have had to pivot and move and rethink what it is that they stand for and what does it mean if they are not attracting bums on seats into their stadium to do um, sporting events. And um, I think there's some parallels there about us thinking in terms of our community and in PE. What what are the ways that we can be rethinking and and reorienting what we do? Um, At one level, I'm just happy that the technology is forcing us to connect globally and to hear and listen and have opportunities for a a real cross-cultural conversation. Ironically, isn't it an amazing thing that we are now doing this when our borders have closed? So um, the closing of our borders is forcing us to listen and to hear other voices uh, better. But also I have great faith... um, of the young people coming through who will take Joe Wicks and hack him and who will start 
doing different things with Joe and, and recreating the notion of what Joe Wicks does and the notion of what sport is in COVID, through COVID-19. So for me, it's about the creative spirit of humanity and what we'll be able to generate um, through tapping into the new tools that are in our arsenal to be able to connect with people and to continue reaching out. Um, and I'm it's soppy, I know, but I do think physical activity is a wonderful resource and that we have a gift to be able to share that and help people embrace it. Fiona, over to you. Over to me. I think what I think I really, really agree with what you're saying, Louise. I wish to God you weren't down in Australia, but anyway, there it is. Um, so um, it's it's really shown what's going on at the moment has shown a number of things. It's got us to realise what, what being human in a digital world means, and um, technology as an enabler, actually, rather than technology being the focus, which I think is really interesting for me. Um, and I I really do think, and I have I definitely have the energy to to do this. I do want to pull colleagues around around the global table. Um, to hack some of the things that we've been talking about. And I think that's my next thing, that, that I'm going to have a chat, a side chat with Lou, and we're going to figure this out between us and see what would be possible, because we have some phenomenal leaders in our field, um, young leaders, future leaders, and I think there is an appetite, and I think we talking is fantastic, but I prefer action. Uh, so I think that's that's actually going to be the follow-on from this Risto, uh, that we're going to just uh, we're going to, we're going to create a space in which we can actually start uh, interrogating what's going on and seeing what we want to do next. And I'm talking about in terms of um, our research, how we disseminate that research, how we get it into classrooms, and um, because it's it's a chaotic and frenzied and transformative space we're in now, and. There's astonishing innovation happening currently. We we sh we need to be on that train, and I think we are. I think we were asking all the right questions. That chat was just inspirational. Some of the things that that were being spotted there in terms of of um, of the conversation we were having on Friday, and so it's it's harnessing that now. And so I think that's the next step off. And so I learned a lot from the conversation. It's it's a starting point. I said connect. I see it changing and morphing in terms of, of how it how it will how it will be um, every month, uh, depending on what what membership want. And um, but I see also some lovely sidebar activity going on, global sidebar activity, including really nice research collaborations. And um, but also this this idea of a global hackathon for our profession. I think it's yeah. the time. I think why not? Let's do it. Yeah, and I and I feel super inspired with uh, just the way. ICEP has done this, um, you know, getting people together, serving the community, not just not just in time of like, hey, you, can you get to this remote location for a conference, which is part of the great thing about ICEP. You just go to really <laughs> fun places. Uh, but like for the for yeah. the people that ha don't have the means to do it, how can you still serve that community? And I think, yeah. you know, these, um, you know, it's not a webinar. Kathy was not lecturing yeah. at us and giving a PowerPoint yeah. presentation and saying, slide, next slide, please. You know, it was, <laughs> it was a really engaging conversation. And so I, throughout all of this, the biggest thing that I've gotten is the, you know, the just building community, 
So for, for example, May 29th is the next Coffee with Colleagues for, for ICEP. Before that, May 1st, um, Australia has their uh, meetup in ACPR. Yeah. Um, we have the U.S. one, meaning U.S. one, but everybody is welcome, but it's uh, situated for U.S. time. So we're on April 30th at 3 Eastern time. Uh, so this upcoming Thursday. And, you know, we're, we're going to talk about big questions of how does this change online education for physical education and how do we prevent, you know, COVID-19 style changes to become permanent in some ways? You know, the big questions mm-hmm. for us and, and, you know, in the university setting, you have competition for classrooms. You know, people are suggesting, hey, can you go online? Can you go online? Because we don't have enough classroom space. Now that they realize that these classes are possible to be online because 5,600 classes at George Mason University just went online. Everybody's online. So how do we prevent mm-hmm. us from being pushed in Pete education online? And, you know, we'll have Hal Lawson, Helena Bart on there, um, uh, Jen Walton Facet, Michael Hemphill, that we're bringing in people to give us opinions. And I think that it's very similar to what ISEP is doing is you're highlighting a scholar who has a different opinion and bringing those people in and facilitating conversations. So I think it's just a great way for us to all build community. So um, we could keep going, you know, but I know it's like 9 p.m. in Australia, like, I don't know happy hour time in Ireland and I just woke up and (laughs) (laughs) so thank you so much both uh, for your time and we'll um, we'll catch up on the next one absolutely